Hi everyone, this is Dan Miller and you're listening to Speaking of Products. On this show, I focus on what it takes to start and grow a business around technology products. These days, there are so many fantastic people creating all sorts of wonderful technology products that make our world a better place. For every one of the popular platforms you know and love, there are many more new and lesser known ones on the way. I'm on the journey myself to create a technology product business, and so I've produced this podcast as a way of sharing the ideas, strategies, and tactics I discover on the way. There's always something we can learn from ambitious founders and what they do to get ahead. The goals here are to highlight what has worked for the success stories and to uncover what is going on with those hidden gems. G'day and welcome to episode six of Speaking of Products. Thank you for joining in today, wherever in the world you might be. Most likely, you're at home, you've got your headphones on and you're doing some sort of chore. Maybe you're washing the dishes, you're hanging out the washing, you're cleaning the house. We're all in that boat at the moment together, but I really appreciate you taking the time at the moment to listen in. I've got a two-part show for you today. It's the usual update of my progress up first since episode five, and then I go through some of the fun facts and product development ideas we can learn from the first portable instant camera and its founder, Edwin Land. We're talking about the Polaroid today. All right, let's get into it, shall we? In this episode's update, I'm feeling fine. I had five days off over the Easter break and spent much of that outdoors. So all in all, I'm pretty relaxed. There was a good chunk of time spent out in the backyard with my family. We did a bit of gardening as usual. We bought a fire pit for a home. So there were a few nice moments sitting around, staring into the coals and sharing stories. And we also managed to get out for a few long walks in the local nature reserves for exercise while keeping our distance from others, of course. At the same time, my thoughts are definitely going out for the millions of people across the globe who are now impacted by COVID-19. This is especially true for anyone that is ill or knows someone that is. Special thoughts also go out to friends and family of those that have passed away due to the virus. Lastly on this, to everyone that is doing their part to minimise the spread by staying home and restricting their activities, thank you. In my home city of Canberra, the community is taking it very seriously and our self-isolation efforts seem to be improving the situation. The rate of people contracting the virus here is slowing. So here in Canberra, we're a town of about 450,000 people or so in the region and the rate is right down. We've got 10 people left now that have the virus from a peak of about 103 who contracted it in the first place and the effort that everyone's putting in here just to really stay home, keep, keep up the social distancing, it's working. So I'm very thankful for that and I'm thankful to be a part of that as well. Well, that's the personal side of things. Now, how about the product side? Following last episode, I had planned to return to that book I had previously been reading, Start Marketing the Day You Start Coding. And I had also planned to continue in maker mode and focus on building the initial front end of the web app I'm building. I'm picking up speed now and I would like to keep things moving in that area. So how did I go? Well, on progressing through the book, I'm pleased to say that I finished it. I really enjoyed Rob Walling's casual conversational style of writing. The book is essentially a collection of some of Rob's blog posts from over a decade or so ago. Having followed on with Rob's journey myself over the years, listening to his podcast, Startups for the Rest of Us, it was very interesting to see where Rob started out himself. While I initially thought the book would be more focused on marketing, 
it turns out there is also a good chunk of generally applicable business management ideas in there. That was completely fine from my point of view, knowing how Rob's story has unfolded quite successfully since he wrote the book. Some of the key takeaways are grounded, well-delivered, and have the results to back them up. To Rob, if you're listening to or reading this, thank you. I appreciate the effort you went to in producing the book and making it available for fellow bootstrap founders like myself. To everyone else, do yourself a favor, grab a copy of it to read. There are plenty of excellent strategies and lessons in there. I'll provide a link in the show notes. Next, on keeping things moving with the front end of my web app. I'm definitely happy on that front. I mentioned in the last episode, I was working with a few technologies that are new to me. Well, you know that feeling when you are learning something new and then it starts to click? You know, when you're feeling you're getting it. You understand the concepts and you're making progress. Well, that's where I'm at now. I finished setting up the initial framework, tools and development environment. And now I'm actually starting work on components that an end user of the product will interact with. While I've been working in there, I've also been introducing a user interface styling framework into the mix that is fairly new on the scene. It's called Tailwind CSS and man, is it fun to work with. Over my career so far, styling web apps hasn't been the most enjoyable thing for me. I was never really a fan of using external cascading style sheets or CSS as they're known by to design the look and feel of the web app. It just didn't feel natural. It was like painting a picture by writing words on a separate piece of paper. And so if you wanted to see what it looked like on one side, you'd write words on the other and then visualize it. It just didn't work for my mind. With Tailwind, however, the idea is that you get to apply the look and feel directly in the source code for each user interface element you create. Let's say you're building a web app and it has a bunch of items on the page, you know, a button over here, a heading over there, uh, a nice graphic over there, a box over here. In the old style, you'd have to actually go and create the look and feel for each one of those things over in a separate file, decide it was going to be black or blue or have a shadowing or change color if you hover over it. You'd have to type all those things out in that separate file and then go and visualize them up in your browser. And then you'd also have to have a separate file for the code itself, which did the work of the button or the element that you're creating. With Tailwind CSS, it's all in the one place together. So if you create the component and the code for it, you also style it on the spot in that location. It's pretty cool. It's quite natural feeling. So I really enjoy that approach. Tailwind also seems to abstract away some of the more tricky details of using CSS. You only need to learn how to work with a smaller set of utilities rather than needing to remember hundreds of little details. I recently posted a reply on Twitter saying what I like about Tailwind CSS and it went something like this. It's got awesome doco, great instructional videos, plenty of examples to build from, full control of styling, flexible and customizable, has a friendly community, that's for sure, and also has a set of off-the-shelf components you can purchase if you want to build your app even faster. And that's it on Tailwind CSS, and also that's it on my progress so far. It's been a good block of time. So what's the plan for the next block of work for me? I think it's time now that I start implementing some of my marketing plan. I've been talking about it for a while now, and it's time to get going with it. I'll probably look towards building a basic marketing site to get started with, you know, things like a landing page, email sign-up form, some initial blog post content, and possibly some useful tools, guides, maybe infographics that I can give away for free just to provide value to people that come across it. 
The idea there is that I start creating material and content that is related to the problem that the product is solving. That way, over time, it's building up that link value, it's building up that audience, and that when it comes to actually releasing this product, <laughs> maybe in a year or so, however long it takes, um, there'll already be an audience for it. There'll already be some search value towards it, and it won't be so hard to get that marketing up and running. It's known as a flywheel, so getting that flywheel started, it's a little bit slow at first, but over time, you spin it more and more and more, and it builds up steam and momentum. And then by the time you need to start using it, it's already spinning well. It's already running. That's what I'm going for. And of course, while I do all that, I'll also keep gradually chipping away at the work I'm doing on the app itself. I'm making some good progress, as I mentioned, so I'm going to keep going there. And that's it for the update. Next up, it's time to get into some fun facts about the Polaroid camera. In these fun facts segments, we take a look back at a well-known product from history. The idea is that we have a bit of fun reminiscing as well as seeing what lessons exist that we can potentially use in our own product journeys. Today, I'm opening the vaults and taking a look at the Polaroid camera. My wife, Kristen, came up with the topic for this fun fact. Kristen mentioned that it was a good example of a product that has indirectly led the way for the pervasive instant photo technologies that we take for granted these days. Let's start by taking a look at the product profile. Okay, the name of the product is the Polaroid Instant Camera. Its founder was a guy named Edwin H. Land. Its manufacturer was a company called Polaroid, of course, and the category of product is photography. It was launched in 1948, and its current lifespan is 72 years. It's had a bit of a break in between, though. I couldn't actually come up with the number of units sold on this one. It was a bit hard to find. Safe to say, though, it's probably in the millions, multi-millions. Now, let's get into those fun facts, shall we? Number one, it was enabled on the back of sunglasses. The Polaroid company got its start in 1937 selling polarised sunglasses. They're the ones, you know, if you put the uh, lens in one direction, it filters out the UV light. You put it in the other direction, it lets it through. Um, so they figured out that if you actually align your sunglasses horizontal to the ground, you're going to filter in all that UV light that's coming in from up above you. Great innovation at the time. Um, this launched the company Polaroid, and from there, they moved into the photography equipment category, including polarizing filters for cameras. See, it's just as important if you can filter out that UV light when you're taking a photo. Kodak, you remember those? You remember Kodak? They're the ones that made the, a lot of cameras. Kodak was one of Polaroid's early customers for these polarizing filters, and this became a prelude into Polaroid developing capability which it would later use in the photography product space. So you can see what's going on there. They started in one product category, suddenly found out there was customers in a whole other category and booyah, they're out launching, growing and learning all about this new photography world. What comes next, hey? Well, fun fact number two, helping with the war effort. Polaroid designed and manufactured numerous products for the United States Armed Services during World War II. These included a night viewing device and coloured filters for rangefinders and periscopes. This further developed Polaroid's capability in lens manufacturing. So they're already starting to think about photography and the world of photography. This brings us to fun fact number three. This is the good one. It was an idea sparked by a three-year-old. So in 1944, Polaroid's founder Edwin Land was taking a photo of his three-year-old daughter, Jennifer. 
while they're on a family holiday in California. At the time, Jennifer asked her dad why she couldn't see the picture he had just taken of her. Land was excited by this idea. Imagine a camera where you didn't need to go through the waiting time, hassle and mess of developing film in a dark room with chemicals to see the picture. Land immediately took this idea back to his team at Polaroid to work on. So they went crazy about it. They thought, oh my gosh, can you believe it? We could actually build a camera where the photo comes out instantly. Crazy stuff at the time. That brings us to fun fact number four. It took the Polaroid scientists and engineers nearly five years to turn the idea into an actual product that could be sold to the public. It was essentially a complicated puzzle that involved combining a camera, film, and processing chemistry into a portable handheld format. No small feat at the time. In essence, instant photography packs all the operations of a darkroom inside the film sheet and the camera body itself. The film sheet has to catch light from a camera lens, turn it into a negative image, then reverse the image and make it a positive one. It has to start the process at the right time, end it at the right time, and make sure the image lasts. Back in the 1940s, it was unheard of for such a thing to be happening. It's all analogue, it's all happening in real time, and it's all live. Nothing digital about it. Huge feat of research and engineering there. And what would you expect to come from this? That brings us to fun fact number five, astonished crowds. The initial product was ready for the public in the autumn or fall of 1948. It was named the Land Camera, and it was priced at $89.95. Pretty expensive back then. The launch took place the day after the United States Thanksgiving holiday in 1948. A demonstration was run by a Polaroid sales and demonstration crew at a department store named Jordan Marsh in the US city of Boston. Customers witnessing the demonstration were absolutely astonished at seeing the instant photos being made for the first time. As a result of this excitement and buzz, cameras flew off the shelves. The demonstration ended early when the entire stock of cameras sold out that day. Now you might be thinking, this is what got their start and this is where they made all their money. Well, that brings us to fun fact number six. They actually made a lot more of their money from the lucrative consumables market. With the launch of the instant camera, Polaroid found itself in the enviable position of having a customer base with highly inelastic demand for a must-have consumable. What that means is in order to have any of use at all, the camera required the inclusion of special film sheets coated with photographic chemicals. For each photo taken, one of these sheets would then be developed on the spot into a photograph that could be seen immediately. In other words, you had to have the film sheets in order to use the camera, inelastic demand. These film sheets were priced at $1 each and produced huge profit margins for Polaroid. The company essentially had their own monopoly market by default due to owning the patent rights and there being no competitors. Next up, this brings us to fun fact number seven. It's one of my favourites. Before there was Instagram, there was Warhol. Throughout the 1960s, Polaroid would regularly provide renowned artists with cameras, free film and studio space. The artists would each be told, have a ball. When you're finished, please give us a few prints which we'll include in our corporate collection. Among the artists was a guy named Andy Warhol. You might have heard of him. Warhol's work with Polaroids in particular has become an icon in the pop art world. In the 1970s and 1980s, he would paint vast numbers of celebrity and society portraits. These portrait sittings always started with Warhol shooting dozens of Polaroid photos. The Polaroid artist collection grew to over 16,000 prints 
it showcased the work of world-famous artists such as Andy Warhol, who we just mentioned, Ansel Adams, Philippe Haltzman, Mary Ellen Marks, Robert Maplethorpe, Robert Reuschberg, Inga Morath, and Margaret Burke-White, just to name a few. Huge names in the photographic world. Next up, fun fact number eight. Batteries included. Most Polaroid cameras didn't require you to load them with your own batteries. They instead got their power from a small battery that came inbuilt with the disposable cartridge that held the film sheets we spoke about before. This small battery had just enough juice to power the camera so it could take the same number of shots as film sheets included in the cartridge. Now, again, this is quite innovative in the time. Back in those days, you actually had to get your own batteries and plug them into the devices that you used. You didn't actually get a device handed to you with a battery on the spot. So it was so cool to be able to have this Polaroid camera given to you, plug in the cartridge, and away you go. It's all working. Quite magical stuff. Number nine, holding off the competition. During the 1960s and 1970s, competition for sales of instant cameras picked up steam. As that market grew, new players continued to join in, as you'd expect. Despite this, by 1977, at the height of its popularity, Polaroid still held two-thirds of the instant camera market. More than 6 million Polaroid cameras were sold in that year alone. Polaroid actually fought a long-running battle in the courts with Kodak in relation to patent infringements around this time. After about 10 years, the court ruled in favour of Polaroid, ordering Kodak to cease production of instant cameras and pay damages of $909.5 million. Huge amounts. So here we are now, it's the 1980s and things are looking pretty good for Polaroid, right? They've grown the market themselves. They've had a monopoly for a long time. They've fought off the competitors. They've just won a massive court case. Well, here's where it starts getting a bit crazy for them. Fun fact number 10, falling into the success trap. Our success trap is where a business rests on their laurels and focuses only on the exploitation of their historically successful current business activities. They don't explore new ideas or products. And as such, they eventually fade away and the market for their product disappears along with the value of the business itself. Polaroid is a classic example of a company falling into the success trap. The market for instant cameras began to decline in the late 1970s and as smaller point-and-click film roll cameras started growing in popularity. This downward trend for instant cameras continued into the 1980s as portable video cameras started becoming widely available. Unfortunately, this period coincided with the death of Polaroid's founder, Edwin Land, He passed away in 1991 at the age of 81. Polaroid attempted to make up ground in the 1990s by expanding into other markets. However, by that point, it was stretching itself thin and it never really gained a foothold in any of those emerging markets. In October 2001, Polaroid filed for bankruptcy and the initial run was over. Next, fun fact number 11, the instant photo revival. Throughout the early 2000s, Polaroid underwent many restructures via numerous corporate holdings. It has remarkably been able to hang on during this period. As of March 2020, you can still purchase Polaroid instant cameras. The offerings cover a few styles ranging from remade vintage models to the current flagship model, the Polaroid Now. Number 12, the Polaroid look. There is an unmistakable look to a photo taken with a Polaroid camera, You'd know it when you saw it. It's the one where the photo looks a bit faded, the colours are slightly washed out, and there is sometimes a dark shadow in the image. Writer and photographer Dan Finnan has some good examples of the Polaroid look in an article on his website. I'll post to that in the show notes for you. This is a style that is ingrained into the memories of anyone 
that has looked through a physical photo album at some point in their life. So if you were born anywhere, you know, from the 40s up until, say, the 70s or 80s, be guaranteed that you'd be looking in physical photo albums. The nostalgic feelings and memories that are triggered by the Polaroid look are so powerful that many new digital camera and photo companies have latched onto it. Pretty much every phone camera and photo sharing app these days has a filter you can apply that gives your shots that Polaroid look. All right, number 13, last but not least, I couldn't do a story about the Polaroid without paying homage to Andre, Ice Cold, 3000 and The Love Below. I'll provide a little snippet at the end of the show so you know what I'm talking about there. Well, that wraps up the fun facts and that's it for the show. Shoutouts this week go out to Adam Wathen, Jonathan Reinick, David Hempel, and Steve Shager, and all the other folks around the world that have contributed to creating Tailwind CSS. Thanks, everyone. You've added a whole new element of fun to designing web apps. Joining the show, hey? If you have a question, feedback, or suggestions for a topic, I would love to hear from you. I also welcome short snippets about your own product journey, which we can go through on the show together. You can get in touch via Twitter at Speak of Products or Mr. Dan Miller. Subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Speaking of Products. If you could please give a rating, that'd be so cool. Ratings help other people find out about the show. If you'd like to support Speaking of Products, please consider visiting patreon.com slash speakingofproducts and pledging a one-off or monthly donation. Every little bit counts. Our current goal is to work with a professional podcast editor each week so I can use that time to get back to working on my product. Speaking of products is a creation of Miller Productions. I'm Dan Miller. You're a fantastic product maker. All the best with whatever you're working on and remember to keep speaking of products. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. Shake it, shake it, baby doll. Get on the floor. Shake it, 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 shake